We get it. You're busy. You don't have time to waste on the mainstream media. That's why Salem News Channel is here. We have hosts worth watching, actually discussing the topics that matter. Andrew Wilkow, Dinesh D'Souza, Brandon Tatum, and more. Open debate and free speech you won't find anywhere else. We're not like the other guys. We're Salem News Channel. Watch anytime on any screen for free 24-7 at snc.tv. And on Local Now, Channel 525. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Welcome. Welcome, welcome. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Hey, do me a favor. I know many of you have been listening for a long time. I'm asking you a favor. Will you do me a favor and um, pass this on to other people? If you're on Facebook, share it. If you're on Twitter, uh, retweet whatever you're seeing. Uh, just spread the word. It's uh, We are having such a fun time getting the word out. The Pro-America Report. If you go to ProAmericaReport.com, you can sign up for the daily email. You can even forward that to other people. We've got a lot happening, and I just want your help in spreading the word, continuing to spread the word. There's just so much to do. So I over the weekend, I was watching as the Democrats decided that they're going to do what they usually do, which is spend obscene gobs of money to lie about a candidate. And by that, I mean, I mean, they lie generally and politics. People lie in both parties. I should be clear. But in particular, the Democrats have gone up in Pennsylvania and they're focusing on calling Doug Mastriano an extremist. And that's their playbook. Ultra MAGA, ultra MAGA. You know, Joe Biden spent six months and a bunch of money to come up with ultra MAGA. That's supposed to be the bad thing. Well, I was going to talk about that and I was going to. Um, uh, but I think I'll, I think I will hold off on the Mastriano, uh, Doug Mastriano talk and Pennsylvania for another day. Maybe tomorrow. I think I'll get a guest on. We talked to Selena Zito last week, uh, but I think I'll hold off on that. Because I've got more to add. I want to put some things together about why Doug Mastriano is going to win, how he's going to do it. Um, So here's what I want to talk about today. Over the weekend, I noticed the beginning of an effort to promote in the media new candidates, new people, new elected officials who could be president. And you say to yourself, well, well, so what, Ed? You know, why? I mean, for the Democrats, by the way, for the Democrats, not for the Republicans. You say, well, what's the big deal, Ed? You know, the mayor of New York is an African-American former policeman, Mayor Adams. Wouldn't he be an obvious candidate? Or the governor of California, he's been talked about as governor, as president, presidential candidate for years. Here's my point. I believe that you will see in the coming months an effort to really pressure Joe Biden into quitting because he's clearly not up for the job. Did you see he was in Asia and he got asked if he had a message for North Korea and and, uh, uh, Kim Jong-un, Chairman Kim Jong-un? And Joe Biden's answer, no kidding, was, uh, hello? Meaning that was his message. He didn't say anything else. He's just not up for the job. Everybody knows it. Everybody knows Susan Rice and Ron Klain. Uh, the chief of staff is Ron Klain, Susan Rice's domestic, uh, uh, domestic policy advisor. They're really running things. But I think you're seeing the Democrats realize that he is such a drag on the party. He is perceived as weak. He's perceived as unable to do the job. The economy is, is getting uh, blamed on him, et cetera, et cetera. He's even 
in the tank against one of Obama's, the only things on education that I would say Obama did remotely well. Most of what he did, Common Core was bad. His preferences for all the liberal stuff was bad. But Obama actually tried to allow charter schools to succeed because Obama actually was in regular fights with the teachers unions. And the teachers unions are truly, truly the only racist, systemic racist organization in the country is the teachers unions. And Joe Biden is in the tank for them. So have you seen this? And this is what I want to point you to. What you need to know today is as you see more and more stories about presidential candidates like Gavin Newsom, the governor of of California, and uh, Mayor Adams of New York City, as you see more and more of the conversation, specific, is it a lengthy piece in Politico? And I've told you, go to Politico to find out what the, the left is thinking, the Democrats are thinking, ahead of what they're saying publicly. Because the Politico is always testing things. Some lengthy piece in, the, in, the, uh, in Politico on Gavin Newsom, how he could be president. And then there's a lengthy piece in the AP, Associated Press, on Mayor Adams and how people are saying that he should run for president. These are not just trial balloons. These are the beginning of a push to take Biden and push him off the field because they know he can't win in 2024. His his approval rating is at the lowest ever for a president. He's taken the whole Democratic Party down with him. Now, let me tell you one more thing about this. Here's where it gets interesting. We have a and I haven't heard anybody say this, but we have a Ruth Bader Ginsburg moment. In other words, Ruth Bader Ginsburg was on the Supreme Court. She was told how wonderful she was. She was told how great she was for so many years, and she believed it, and she did not resign when they wanted her to during Obama's terms, and therefore she served into Trump, died, and was replaced by Amy Coney Barrett. Joe Biden has been told for years, five years now, six years, he's great. They were just blowing smoke in his ear because they needed somebody like him to run. They couldn't run Kamala Harris on the top of the ticket. They couldn't run Pete Buttigieg on the top of the ticket. They needed some guy who could attract uh, to him some of the old working class type Democrats who actually were drawn to Trump but would be drawn away like old Scranton Joe. And they've told Joe Biden for years, you're great. What you need to know is he believes it. He believed it all the way to being president. Whatever you think about how Mark Elias and others fortified the election, if they haven't shown proof that they cheated in a court of law, they've shown evidence from their own admissions, Democrats, that they fortified the election. And you've got Dinesh D'Souza, who has been uh, 2,000 mules, has not yet been debunked, but is still out there. So here we are. And Joe Biden is saying, I'm not going to quit. You can't make me quit. I'm not going home. I'm president. I'm going to do it again. He, he may very well decide he's going to run, in which case they really can't stop him, in which case the whole party is going down, not just in 2022, but in 2024. And they know this. And here's where it gets really rich. If Joe Biden decides at some point, he's got to either decide to get out of the way soon, like resign or, or retire, and he won't do that. But if something happened to him, and he was taken out and, you know, he, he resigned or had mental issues or health issues in a period of time where the Republicans control one of the houses, one of the chambers of the U.S. Congress, then a vice presidential nominee of Kamala Harris. So now imagine this. We talked about this with Roger Stone. If Joe Biden resigned next January, but the House or Senate was controlled by Republicans, they would not need to, re- to uh, confirm They're not required to confirm the nominee. So President Kamala Harris names her replacement as vice president. This happened, by the way, right? 
This happened when Gerald Ford became president. He had to name his replacement. He named Rockefeller. You have to get that person through both houses of the U.S. Congress. And in this environment, Kamala Harris nominee would not get through. So the Speaker of the House becomes the number two official in America. Think of it. I mean, it, it becomes really complicated really fast. But I, here's my bet. I don't, think, uh, I don't think Biden goes away. What you need to know is I think Biden has watched his clips. He's watched what they said. They told him he was great. They told him he won. They told him he's president. He's going to run again. He's going to run again, and he's going to say, you guys know we can do this. We've been doing it all along, right? And he's going to run. And so what you need to know is that the, the Democrats will get more and more anxious to try to create some way, some path forward that is not Joe Biden. I don't think they can primary him. But remember, LBJ got put in a position where he he had won election as president. He was vice president under JFK. He won election as president. But the combination of the farther left and Bobby Kennedy running in the primary made LBJ realize it, it wasn't worth it. He couldn't win. I think that could happen. I think that you could see a Gavin Newsom or a Mayor Adams say, look, he's a nice guy. We thank him for his service, but he can't succeed. And then when the polls come back and Joe Biden is going to lose, what's he do? He, I think he quits. So that's what the ramp up is. That's what the pressure coming is, is about. They're, they're not doing it for fun. They're, not, they're doing it as a little bit of insurance. If he announces he's not running, they want to have been out there with these. But they're also doing it as a pressure thing. Because they know they can't have it. They just know they can't have it. All right. Uh, in a few moments, we, so that's what you need to know. Uh, and you ought to watch that. Watch for other candidates. I would say in the uh, aftermath of November 2022, there will be a couple of Repu uh, Democrats that survive, right, that are either incumbents or in safe states. They will start to get more buzz. If, if one of the uh, Democrats in the, in the Senate survives uh, a, a tough race like the Nevada woman, uh, the senator there, Cortez, I think her last name is, someone like that survives, the, the conversation will kick towards them. But it's done to pressure. It's done to pressure. Okay, we're going to take a break. When we come back, already there has been a seismic shift in some states because of primary battles. And our old friend, State Representative Tammy Nichols of Idaho, won her race, contested primary, to move up to be in the state Senate. We'll hear from Tammy Nichols next. And we'll get a preview of a podcast called Life Matters, which I've talked about before. Myself and Jordan Henry, the research director for the Phyllis Life Legals, he records that with us. We are going to record a new episode with Melissa O. Odin, who, she survived an abortion. She was uh, aborted and survived. <laughs> talk about powerful. And we'll talk with her uh, later on in this program. We'll take a break and be right back. It's Ed Martin here on a Pro-America Report. We'll be back in a moment. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. So we need an update from Idaho because... We've had our a pretty frequent guest, our friend Tammy Nichols on, who is in the state house there, but also because Tammy Nichols won her primary a few days ago and she's now all over the news. They're, they're, they're deciding who are the sort of most conservative members of any, uh, uh, I guess, not a body yet because she's not in the in the Senate yet, but she's being written up in uh, uh, in national uh, publications as one of the most conservative. They mean it as a slur, of course, because they're in New York and L.A. and also. But let's get an update because. There was at least a couple of races. They write it like Idaho. Uh, well, it's funny. Well, uh, anyway, welcome Tammy Nichols. First, how are you? Thank you. I'm good. How are you? Good. Congratulations on your win. 
Thank you. Appreciate that. Yeah. It, now, here's the thing. I've seen different coverage. One bit of coverage is, uh, oh, boy, the conservatives, a bunch of conservatives won. Then other coverage that says, oh, well, you know, there was a and I, I forget the name of the group, a group out of eastern Idaho, maybe who uh, is a was running mm-hmm. establishment Republicans. And they're saying, oh, yeah, we held we held off on the uh, crazies. There's only mm-hmm. a few crazies because the, the marquee race was the governor was challenged by the lieutenant governor who was much more right. uh, conservative on especially the issue of covid and what the, the power of government and the, the governor did win. I always warn people there's almost nothing as powerful as a governor in terms of the ability mm-hmm. to raise money and influence things, because, you know, if you're doing business or have something you want in the state, that's the guy. I mean, the only one more uh, more powerful is right. the president. So so at the top level, the, the establishment guy hung on or didn't hang on one well. And then down below that in races like yours, the more conservatives won. How did how do you how would you describe what happened uh, in Idaho? Yeah, I think your your um, insight is is on key. Um, at the co- constitutional officers, uh, we got one what I would say one very conservative person in, and that was for our AG's office, um, uh, Labrador, and he used to be a congressman, and he was also in the Idaho legislature. So, um, which is significant because the incumbent that was in there had been in there for twenty some odd years. And so to be able to get that change, which has been a huge need in our state because our uh, current attorney general is not there to defend the people. He has, he, he has said publicly that he's there to defend the state and the governor. Oh, right, <laughs> and right. that's not supposed to be the, um, you know, the, the duty of the AG. So to get that change is really good. So, um, you know, the more established establishment type um, Republicans did take most of the constitutional offices. But when we start looking at the state level races for legislature and commissioners and things along those lines, um, there was quite a sweep in many parts of the state uh, where really strong conservative people were able to prevail and either uh, win offices of open seats because we just had redistricting. So that, that brought in that factor into the elections or to be able to get out incumbents um, that had been in there for quite some time, especially on our Senate side. And the Senate side is the one that we really needed to, to make some changes. And we did, we made several changes um, in the Senate. And I think our Senate is now going to be possibly more conservative than our house. Well, and this is, and, and let me, again, we're talking with Tammy Nichols, who has served in the state house in uh, Idaho in the state legislature um, and uh, now is moving, well, is in a race for the state Senate. Um, you, you would describe this. I think you would agree with this statement. This, the state, the house of, is it house of delegates or house of representatives in, uh, in Idaho? Representatives. So, okay. Uh-huh. So the house of representatives was passing some real conservative checks on the governor's power and they were just getting bottled up in the Senate. That, that would be descriptive of what your, your frustration in the last say that's year and a half correct. is that. So, so now you're saying because of some of the replacements, you think you're going to have a Senate that's more because you do the same governor, right? You have the same governor who's going to be doing the same. We have the same. Yeah. We have the same governor, but the governor relied heavily on the Senate side to get his stuff passed or to hold things or to not allow things in. And so now that is going to be completely opposite um, as far as what is available in the Senate. We have many members that retired in the Senate because the Senate has been an older body in general. And so we had many members uh, in the Senate that retired. We had several people, including myself, that ran from the House uh, for Senate seats. And then all over the state, besides just a few portions, 
uh, we were able to get really good conservative um, people that had never been elected before into some of those Senate seats. So, mm-hmm. so we're actually looking at a very different Senate that went, than what we've had in the past. Very, oh. very different. And so, um, you know, the Speaker of the House won the Lieutenant Governor primary. And so oh, that okay. is probably who's going to be in there. And they oversee the Senate. It's not going to be a cakewalk for him. And it's definitely not going to be a cakewalk for our governor and or the lobbyists, because the lobbyists have relied really heavy on the Senate side to to pass legislation or to stop um, legislation. And so, um, yeah, I think it's going to be a night and day difference. Uh, we're talking again with Tammy Nichols, uh, who serves in the uh, House of Representatives in Idaho and uh, now is in a primary, won the primary and is the Republican. So therefore, the sort of favorite in, a, in the fall to be in the Senate in, uh, in Idaho. Uh, returning for one second, uh, former Congressman Raul Labrador wins for uh, attorney general, beats the incumbent, I think five term incumbent. Somebody had been there a very long time. Mm-hmm. And now Labrador mm-hmm. goes on and will win. Is he a rival? To, is he a counterweight to the to the governor? And, and now that you mentioned the Speaker of the House is going to be the lieutenant governor candidate and probably win. Are those two um, in the mold of the previous lieutenant governor? Are they more likely to go along? And maybe differently, is has the governor um, been uh, chastened at all in his, um, you know, it's Governor Little, right, who has been pretty, I'd say, mm-hmm. moderate to uh, not, I don't know if he's moderate. Mm-hmm. He's been sort of on the COVID front, been engaged in a lot of behavior that a lot of conservatives were upset with. So I, I mean, I don't, but but will the will Labrador uh, yeah. and the new speaker, uh, soon to be lieutenant governor, be checks on this governor? Or are they in the same mold, or where does it fit? Yeah, so I would I would say it this way that the speaker um, who will who now has the lieutenant um, governor yeah. primary win right. uh, is on the same side as the governor, uh, okay. and then Labrador will be a counterweight. To, to those two. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I mean, which will make it really interesting. Yeah, that's what I mean. In some ways, some of what the attorney general has to do is is in for, you know enforce and defend the laws of the of the state. So if the state's doing sort of random things mm-hmm. like bans and executive orders and stuff, and maybe uh, you know, Labrador's got to say, well, I recuse myself. In certain cases, it you, it does set up. Now, I guess that does mean that Labrador is kind of the coming man, right? Mm-hmm. He's still a young guy, so he's probably one of the the yeah. favorites to run for governor someday again, and all that kind of stuff, huh? I could definitely see that in the future. Absolutely. Um, he's very well known. Like I said, he served in, in, in the legislature. He's been a congressman. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was one of the founders of the, of the Freedom Caucus. Mm-hmm. And so he's very well known um, on, in, in throughout the state. And so, yeah, I think that would be, be a very high, high likelihood that he would um, eventually run for governor. All right. So then back to my question, I swallowed my own question a moment ago. Does the, is the current governor, has he been at all chastened by the process? Do you get a sense that you got to deal with him for the next four years at least, right? So do you get a sense that he's mm-hmm. uh, chastened or is he a, a changing or is he even maybe is it going to be even more contentious? You know, I'm. it'll be interesting. We'll have to kind of play that by ear. Um, I think there, there needs to be a high level of accountability. Um, you know, he has not necessarily been chastened. I, there was a, um, a movement that was tried in the, in the Republican Party during the um, uh, summer and winter meetings to, um, to reprimand him uh, for some of the things that he did because he did change, uh, you know, uh, state law did change our election dates. Um, you know, shut down businesses, uh, non-essential, essential. So there was a lot of things that he did uh, that were not in his purview to be able to do. Um, and so there should have been some accountability that he should have been held to. And unfortunately, he was not. 
So, um, you know, but I'm hoping, my hope is that with this new Senate that's um, uh, most likely coming up, that they will have a high bar for accountability. And with, uh, you know, uh, the attorney general changing, that uh, that um, will also come into play with holding the mm-hmm. governor responsible and accountable to the people of Idaho and making sure that he um, upholds the Constitution and his oath of office, which he um, did not uh, do in 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 his uh, in the ways that he should have uh, during the last his last term. So, so I have high hope that that will change and that um, there will be accountability. Um, and he will be responsible for his decisions. Uh, one more question. We're talking again, Tammy Nichols, uh, state representative in Idaho, soon to be a state senator, mm-hmm. looks like. But uh, uh, Ada County Clerk Phil McGrain won for secretary of state, at least the way the national media wrote it. He was a moderate who thought all oh, the election in 2020 was great. Of course, he was a clerk. If you're the Ada County clerk, it's a big county and you you're it's going to be unlikely he's going to say his own work in 2020 was flawed. But but anyway, he won. And the way mm-hmm. the national press uh, uh, described it was, well, there were three real candidates there the other two split the trump vote mcgrain is a kind of not as trumpy um are you uh are you comfortable that the secretary of state's gonna keep the elections going right are you comfortable that uh maybe maybe that doesn't maybe the counties have a stronger role so he can't do anything i mean what's what's your what's your how would you describe that race yeah so um i would i would say that was probably accurate there was three three major people that ran in that race and uh, the two probably did split votes. Um, the, Dorothy Moon was the one that came in second place. And I think there was a 41, she had a 41% uh, and a, and a 43%. I think there was just like three points difference um, between her and, and McGrain. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's going to really come down to the legislature um, putting in legislation, good legislation that, uphold election integrity. Um, I already have some bills all ready to go uh, to help with that, one being security features for the ballots. Um, you know, we tried to pass some of that legislation. We did pass some of that in the House uh, this last session, but unfortunately on the Senate side, it didn't get any any further than that. And, uh, and so, yes, um, you know, the Heritage Foundation came out with rankings for all the states in regards to where they ranked right. for their, um, their election integrity. And Idaho ranked 38. Uh, which isn't, isn't that good for our state. I mean, we should be higher than that. Mm -hmm. Uh, So we definitely have a lot of work to do and a lot of improvement. Um, Voter ID, we really need to make sure we enforce voter ID here. That has not been uh, an enforcement mechanism. It's not actually necessary for voter ID because we have um, where people can just come in if they forget their ID and they can just sign a paper stating that that's who they are and there's no checks and balances with it. Hmm. So there's several components that we need to do, but I think it's going to really fall onto the legislature to put in good legislation and on the local level for the elections, the county elections offices to uh, make sure that they're upholding um, election integrity at the local level. Hmm. So, um, so it's going to be a kind of a multi-level approach is how I see it. Well, it's going to be interesting to see Tammy Nichols. Congratulations again. Thank you for taking the time and for being so frequent a guest. And uh, it'll be, it'll be interesting to see uh, uh, what, uh, what the future holds in Idaho. As you said, a lot of some accountability, some healing, I suppose. And then I I just hope uh, I think to myself, well, let's get past this and, and Idaho can lead the nation, as you said, now that you've got a more conservative Senate. So uh, best of luck. Thank you, Tammy. Thank you. All right. We'll take a break, everybody, and we'll be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. 
Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. It's time to check in with our old friend, our old friend, the research director at the Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. Wears a lot of hats, actually, with the Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. He's an author. He uh, posts on our blog. He now is the host of his own uh, TV uh, or video program, live streaming once a week uh, with Ryan Height from our Phyllis Schlafly Eagles team. But also he and I get together every couple of weeks now, and we've started a podcast called Life Matters, where we're trying to uh, talk about the life issues and the pro-life movement and kind of rally folks. That's the phrase that he came up with. And we've been using rally folks in the pro-life movement at this key moment. Uh, Cause as we've talked about a lot, and if you go over to proamericareport.com, you'll see lots of different interviews. It's kind of a wildly important moment, sort of uncertain. What does the Dobbs decision look like? How do the, uh, how does the media lie about it? What do they say? We've seen some of those lies. What's the politics of it? Uh, I was talking earlier in the program, Jordan, about the um, $6 million spent, a $6 million buy uh, in Pennsylvania to try to make abortion uh, the main issue in the governor's race. Now, I will tell you, in politics, most entities that spend money on ads lie about the amount. You say, oh, you got a $1 million buy. And you're like, is it really a million dollars? Like, oh, yeah, we spent a hundred grand. But if we get 900,000 more, we're going to use it all for that. And you're like, no, it's not really. A- <laughs> anyway, so Jordan Henry, welcome back. And uh, hey, Life Matters, the podcast. If people go to phyllisschlafly.com, they'll see it there. Um, I had four or five episodes in. How's it going? I think it's going really well. I think that we're touching on something that very few other people are willing to touch on, and that is really grappling with the pro-life movement uh, from from the perspective of the grassroots activist, you know, the, the person who is just on the ground, who cares about saving women and children who are vulnerable to the scourge of abortion. Uh, and they just want to know, I mean, you know, what's all this that's going on? We hear a lot about it in the news. What's really going on and what can we do about it? So I think that it's really touched on a, a critical nerve and I'm excited to see where it goes. Uh, Jordan, we're talking with Jordan Henry, and the, uh, the subject is uh, this podcast and Life Matters that he and I have been doing, trying to, again, talk about these issues, try to get a little bit ahead of the Dobbs decisions coming down any day. Um, we're recording this week. The podcast includes Melissa Oden, who is, well, you tell the story. We were talking before this uh, interview about our own history of knowing her. She's spoken a number of times at the Phyllis Schlafly uh, Eagles events. Again, phyllisschlafly.com. You can see more of our stuff there. But tell us her story a little bit and why she's uh, maybe a pivotal figure at this moment. Well, you know, she has an incredible background. She is actually the survivor of a failed uh, saline abortion. Uh, and she founded, and now she's the director of the Abortion Survivors Network, uh, which they have just a beautiful tagline behind the word choice is a person, which is so true. And, and she is the person behind that word choice for so many other women out there. Uh, and she's managed through her abortion survivors network to connect a, a, a 384, I think was the count I saw of abortion survivors, or their uh, family and friends and all of that. So she's doing an incredible work by providing the face behind this issue that we see tossed around in politics so much. And I think that's important for grassroots activists concerned about the life issue to remember is that, you know, we're not talking about save the babies in some broad sense. We're talking about these are individual lives, each one of them with 
a unique DNA, a unique situation. And the women who are, who are faced with the choice of whether to keep their children or not are each unique and they have unique circumstances. And we need to be compassionate to those circumstances uh, and help them to find the best choice for them, which ultimately we believe is to, uh, is to not end another life. Well, it's interesting, though, also just from the sheer standpoint, the, the, uh, the sheer politics, the standpoint stepping back, um, what people want that are interested in political persuasion is to use fear to motivate people. So they say things like, aha, if you're against abortion, if you want Roe v. Wade, over, Roe v. Wade overturned, you're for criminalizing abortion or you want people that are raped to have to have the baby because you want them to suffer more. You're on the side of the rapists. I mean, that's kind of the fear of this, that a fear dynamic that you saw as soon as the Dobbs decision, uh, draft decision leaked on the next weekend on the Sunday shows. And I talked about this on the program. Uh, again, we're talking with Jordan Henry. Um, and there were, there were uh, commentators and they were saying all about criminalizing abortion and all about rapists. And you're like, wait a second, let's start the conversation from what do we believe is going on here? Do you, do you think it's two people? I I'm sorry to say this and I hate it when it happens. I, I took some notes and I'm not finding them in front of me. Um, one of the commentators this weekend was just saying something simply, if you shoot and kill a pregnant woman, you'll get charged with double murder. But if you, the same pregnant woman goes in and, and aborts her baby, she's just making a healthcare choice. Well, that, that's incongruous. And our minds, when it's something like that, when, when, and when young people especially look up and they go, wait a second, I'm looking at the technology. I'm looking at 3d ultrasounds. I'm looking at a healthy baby that was born at, 20 weeks, 21 weeks. And you're telling me that this is uh, based on some trimester thing that somebody made up in the 1970s. They should be allowed to abandon this, to abort this baby. But the fear factor is real. And one of the things that I think it really, we have to call upon ourselves to do is bring this conversation back and bring it passionately back. Maybe um, not, um, not uh, uh, impolite, not uh, histrionic, but with passion, meaning Melissa Odin survived an abortion, right? There's there's babies that have been survived abortions. And you say, look at this and look at the health and try to put hum humanness and try to put, frankly, emotion on, on these situations so people can relate different than fear. Because fear in this current environment, COVID fear, fear of war, fear of now economic instability, you know, fear, fear, fear. If you're transgender, you're supposed to be afraid of people around you. If you're black, you're supposed to be afraid of people around you. That's what the media and other people want us to think. It's not the best way to live. It's exhausting. Yeah. And you say about so many issues that are really uh, hot in the news nowadays. You know, everything's racist. They, everybody's a Nazi. All of that language is all designed to create that spirit of fear. Right. Uh, but we know that scripture says that God hasn't given a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And so with that sound mind, we need to just go through and, and talk about some of these things. And I don't want to give away the whole uh, podcast, uh, but, you know, we go we're going to go through one by one all of these fear based exceptions that people try to add on to pro-life legislation, rape and incest health of the mother, life of the mother. We're going to go through one by one and talk about uh, what's, what's, what are the facts behind that? 
and, and we're going to uh, we're going to talk about that and rationalize that, uh, but in a way that keeps into perspective that humanness factor that you can't lose whenever you're talking about people's lives like this. So I don't want to take for granted that everybody uh, in your listening audience, Ed, uh, agrees that there should be no right. exceptions on that right. pro-life legislation. So if if you disagree, I challenge you to uh, to listen to our our new episode of Life Matters. It's going to be coming out later on this week, uh, and and see for yourself if if your position can hold up under the scrutiny of uh, logic and emotion and remembering the people who are involved in these decisions directly. Well, and one of the things that's so interesting about this moment, again, uh, we're, we're talking with Jordan Henry, who's the uh, research director at the Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, heads up uh, his own uh, streaming video uh, program. Go to phyllisschlafly.com. He writes and uh, also with me, co- uh, co-host of podcast Life Matters. Um, one of the things that's so interesting about this moment and I really can't, sometimes I can't believe I, I, we're finally living in it. These moments around that we may get rid of Roe v. Wade, which was so poorly decided. You know, it was even I think this may be overstating it a little bit, but but I do think that there were comments by somebody like Ruth Bader Ginsburg, where she I think she was saying, actually, the way the decision happened did not settle anything. It made it more political. I think that's how she described it. I don't think she described the decision necessarily as poorly decided. But there are lots of liberals who would say, yeah, it was just kind of too contrived the way it happened. But my point here is that we're at a moment in history where we're, we're we have a chance to think and rethink about these kind of fundamental issues. And when you have, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, Jordan, Kathy Barnett, who got so much attention running for Senate, wasn't she the product of rape? Is that correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah that's so, absolutely correct. So, so, and you can draw a direct line from right. when she made that announcement to where her campaign shot up in the polls. Well, and she received massive support from some of the pro-life groups, which was wonderful. But as an African-American woman, you know, a success and a Christian and you know, articulate uh, uh, kind of whatever. And just amazing lady, Herschel Walker. As I saw someone say, Herschel Walker, you know, you can say he's going to have a tough race. He's still the star from Georgia. He's running for U.S. Senate. He said a couple of days ago, I, I'm, I'm, there's no exception for abortion. He's like, if we're going to ban abortion, let's ban abortion. And he's not afraid of that, right? I mean, people are suddenly less afraid than they were. And I think in part, it's because we have an opportunity to talk about it and a little bit differently. It's kind of like a, a fresh start in this conversation. Doesn't mean it's settled. Doesn't, by the way, it doesn't mean that we're going to ban abortion in every state. That's not going to happen. It may, they may, they may ban abortion in 10 or 12 states, but there are at least 10 or 12 that are going to say have abortions here. So if somebody's afraid abortion is going to go away, that's not real. But if you want to make an argument about what we hope happens, I think those of us that think that's a life want to have that conversation. And, and we're in a moment where it looks like we can. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's so funny how when you look at what the left does, they 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 do these sorts of things incrementally and they hide their motives. They say, oh, you're just fear mongering if you think that we're going to go that far. But, you know, remember 15 years ago when, when President Barack Obama ran on a campaign of believing that marriage was between one man and one woman. So, you know, on the one hand, you have that sort of incrementalism that they do. But uh, on the right, uh, we are consistent in our beliefs uh, about abortion. We, we don't hide the fact that we, we think that it's a practice that belongs in the ash heap of history. So you, you've got to keep in mind that, obviously, abortion is not going to be banned the moment that Roe v. Wade is overturned. Really, that's when the real fight begins. 
but ultimately, we hope that there will be not just a legislative change, but a cultural change where people realize what it means uh, to, to have an abortion, what it means to, be, to value human life and to keep that child and what it means for women, of course, too. It is. Uh, it's a key moment. And um, if there was ever a time, uh, you know, the tagline of our Life Matters podcast rallying the pro-life uh, community, it's a time for people to come together. I was at the Supreme Court early on Monday morning when the decisions came out this week. They were it obviously was not the Dobbs decision. It was other decisions, but uh, gathered at the, at the place were, uh, well, there were two distinct. There were three groups. There were about 20 people silently praying with a pro-life sign, there were about 50 people with a bullhorn obnoxiously saying abortions got to end. They were pro-lifers, but they were loud and obnoxious. I don't think you can use a bullhorn in any other way than obnoxiously. And then there was a third group of, of kind of small number of pro-abortion folks that were there all gathered uh, in front of the Supreme Court, you know, and, and whether any maybe in our history, rallying ourselves to the question of life so that we can win the argument about life. That feels like the momentum that's available right now. So, uh, all right. Uh, thank you for coming on, uh, Jordan Henry. We'll look forward to the podcast. Go visit phyllisschlafly.com, everybody. We'll put it up on social media, and we'll talk again soon, Jordan. Thank you. Thank you. All right. We'll take a break, and we'll be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. We'll be back in a moment. This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report, a daily broadcast from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, a national volunteer organization founded by Phyllis Schlafly and continuing to uphold her legacy by opposing radical feminism and representing a traditional conservative perspective in our nation's capital. Now the president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, Ed Martin. Donald Trump is remaking the Georgia Republican Party utilizing such tactics as a high-profile rally amid his endorsement of several candidates for high statewide offices. But an obstacle to this is how money is pouring in from liberals who are trying to re-elect anti-Trump politicians, such as the Republican Georgia Governor Brian Kemp. Out-of-state money rains down on liberal Republicans who are opposed by conservative primary voters. Liberals see what's at stake in these primaries, and they realize that if they can prop up a rhino in his primary then the left prevails no matter who wins the general election. Representative Liz Cheney of Wyoming has raised more than $7 million, the vast majority of it from outside of the state she is supposed to be representing. Her opponent should expose Cheney as a tool of the left at this point and demand that Cheney return donations by liberals to her campaign. As the anti-Trump Republicans take money from the left, they become beholden to the liberal agenda on issues that count most. Trump is doing everything he can to fumigate the GOP from this infestation by the left, and he needs all hands on deck to right the ship as the left increases its attempt to hijack it. With liberal control of big tech and Hollywood and the media, liberal political donations are as much as 50 times larger than conservative political donations. The only antidote to the pestilence upon the Republican Party by the left is the assertion of the Trump brand. The big mistake of the left is assuming that conservatives support Donald Trump because of who he is rather than what he stands for. Trump is not simply a celebrity riding the wave of stardom and dragging the right along with him. In reality, he succeeds because he resonates with the resentment of hypocrisy that has been building for generations. The Kemp's and Cheney's of the world, they need to realize that money is not enough to maintain their power anymore. We the people demand real representation by men and women who share our values 
regardless of their party affiliation. This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report with Ed Martin, president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. And we think it's time to take Washington back from the power brokers. At phyllisschlafly.com, we're organizing a grassroots movement to stand against the deep state bureaucrats who control government. For the latest strategies, go to phyllisschlafly.com. That's phyllisschlafly.com. Thanks for listening, and join us again next time for the Phyllis Schlafly Report. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on a Pro-America Report. Hey, I just got the news. I hope we'll watch it, tracking it closely. Jack Posobiec, our old friend, friend of the show, was detained in Davos at the World Economic Forum. He's there covering it as a journalist, as only he can do. He's been detained. I, I saw a little bit of the video. I don't think he's been taking in, taken into custody. I think they just stopped him or are holding him, hopefully. But have a good thought and prayer for Jack. Uh, who knows what they'll do to him in terms of wanting to take him down. Uh, dangerous, dangerous times. I'm really surprised in a way that he went all the way over there because I don't know if you can trust what's going on in the world. But be that as it may, we'll keep him in our prayers. Uh, we'll be back tomorrow. We ran out of time. Thank you, as always, to the great Noah Dingley, our producer, uh, associate producer, Joanna Spilger. We'll be back tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Talk to you then. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego.